And welcome back to another episode of the Fatal Conceits podcast, dear listeners, a show about money, markets, mobs, and manias, not necessarily in that order, of course. If you haven't already done so, please head over to our Substack page. You can find us at bonnerprivateresearch.substack.com. And there you'll find articles on everything from high finance to lowly politics and plenty in between, including many more episodes of the Fail Conceits podcast, just like this one. I'm very excited today to welcome back uh, a good friend of mine, Mr. Charlie Morris, a man who wears many hats. He is the founder of Bite Tree and the editor of the Fleet Street Letter, one of the UK's longest running financial publications, and also the visionary behind Bond, which we'll get into in this conversation. First of all, Charlie, welcome back to the show, mate. Good to see and hear from you. Fantastic. Glad to be here. Now, we're actually uh, not so far apart as we usually are. I usually am bringing our listeners these episodes from Buenos Aires, but uh, as we were just discussing off camera, I'm here in Paddington. And what's going on? The last time we we spoke, uh, you'd just entered another lockdown here in the UK and pubs were closed and now there's a rail strike. It's chaos. Yeah. Well, I think that we have a secret um, um, desire in this country for everything to go wrong. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> the British aren't happy unless they're miserable. So when things are going too well, you've got to make sure that we, um, you know, induce some self-harm. Oh, okay. A little self-inflicted pain. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, I was just, uh, as I, we were discussing, I was listening to a little bit of our last chat on this podcast uh, back in February of 2021. Uh, we're talking about Bitcoin. You were giving us some of your prognostications and uh, telling us a, a little bit about the uh, the work you do with Bytree and the Fleet Street Letter and beyond. And um, yeah, it's a year on um, in human terms, but it's a thousand lifetimes in uh, when it comes to the cryptoverse. Um, we've seen the price of Bitcoin, just to kind of contextualize the conversation, shoot up from around 40,000 when we last spoke rallied to around 60,000. These are, of course, rough numbers. Collapsed to 30,000, moonshot back to 70,000, is now languishing around 20,000 again, uh, pronounced dead for the umpteenth time, of course. Uh, Let's talk about volatility, (laughs) Charlie, because one of the uh, early propositions and and something that I wrote about quite a bit uh, back in the day was that we thought that with increased liquidity and um, you know a larger kind of more mature, let's call it a market cap in uh, Bitcoin as an asset class that we thought that volatility might smooth out, that it would stop behaving kind of like a, an impetuous micro cap. Uh, I don't think we've, we can quite claim that that's come about. What's your read on that? Well, Joel, I mean, this time, <laughs> but you know, Bitcoin volatility has been falling. Now, mm-hmm. the way you just described it, what did you say? Uh, uh, 30 to, to 60 to 30 to 70 to 20. Sounds like volatility, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, oil does that, doesn't it? Oil, oil went true. in 2000 and, uh, you know, the last 20 years, oil sort of started at something like 10 and then went to 150 nearly and then to 37 and then to 100 and then to minus 40 and then to... Plus 130, you know, <laughs> there are other assets that are crazy. So, and oil is very much part of our lives. But I'd like to highlight that in the past 
uh, Bitcoin bear markets. Yeah, and there's no doubt what we've just experienced. I think you're probably safe to call it a bear market. 2014, we had volatility of 150%. 2018 bear market, we had um, around 90%. Um, and this time we're looking at about 70. That's using, nine, that's using 90 day, three month numbers. So, you know, that, that's progress, isn't it? And I think, you know, personally, I think that it's not going to get much worse than it's got for Bitcoin this cycle because it's come down to our valuation territory, good valuation territory. So you sort of flushed out the 2021 hype cycle, you know, led on by Michael Saylor, Elon Musk, people like that. Yep. And, um, and, you know, we've got half the volatility of a decade ago and, you know, 25% less than, than five years ago. So it is growing up. And the asset is more liquid than it's ever been. I mean, I think that um, the number we still use is about $40 billion a day of, 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 of liquidity, which mainly comes from the crypto exchanges. But, you know, in terms of real liquidity on chain, that's $7, 8000000000 billion a day. It's a proper asset, Joel. Yeah. No, no, it has it has definitely come a long way since its, uh, its toddler days back in in 2008 and of course along with along with the maturation of of the ecosystem it's still you know it it still is a a kind of wild west in a way when you compare it with something like gold or you know other asset classes that have been around for obviously a lot longer and i guess that kind of lends it to you mentioned uh, mr sailor there and and uh, micro strategy i'm just wondering if for people who are not like yourself who are not deeply uh, involved and, and paying very close attention to the goings on in, in the cryptoverse, they hear about these things and uh, you know they see the, the the meltdown of of Luna, let's say, or or you know some other kind of esoteric blow up which they they can't maybe wrap their heads around. How do you how do you settle people down and explain to them um, you know what's going on when uh, you know when all they see across the the headlines is you know sort of bleeding red and tails of of wild west shenanigans i'd say that this 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 space was created by bitcoin there are twenty thousand um competitors copycats uh, evolutions call them what you will in the crypto sphere and then in the commercial sphere in terms of crypto interacting businesses from coinbase downwards kind of thing um, there are probably another 20,000. I mean, I have no idea what the actual number is, but we're dealing with, you know, 40,000 entities or more. I mean, I don't know what, Joel, perhaps you can think about your estimate, what the number is for when I finished. And, <laughs> and, and the idea that something happens over there is necessarily the fault of Bitcoin or something is it's not quite right. I think that, you know, when you have Enron in the stock market, you know, you can't, you can't blame you can't, you know, that, that's not the fault of the entire stock market. Although if you were around in the summer of 2002, you know, Enron brought down the entire stock market, as did WorldCom, because there was a loss, loss, loss of confidence in corporate accounting in general. So these things can spread. And I think the Terra Luna was part of the brave experiment. And I think that what went wrong there, um, quite, quite apart from the obvious that, you know, a, a stable coin probably ought to be backed by dollars rather than algorithms. Um, but but it was a top project. It was you know it was in the top 10, 10 constituents. So you know had a had pro project number five thousand failed, then that wouldn't have wouldn't have um, mattered quite so much because that happens mm. every day. But I guess when a top ten project fails um, and you've got a stable coin coming down, that that's that is noticed. So that was a confidence crisis. But I don't think that it's Bitcoin's fault in any way, shape or form. It's not Ethereum's fault. 
Um, but you know, a lot of the businesses are linked to the to the crypto economy. The crypto economy just shrank. So, you know, what happens when the, the real economy shrinks? A lot of businesses around it come in trouble. What happens when the oil uh, oil price goes down? You know, oil companies get into trouble. So it's just the it's the normal relationship we're seeing there. But I guess the the one positive I take from all this is I think it's probably as bad as it gets. Yeah, that's, oh, well, I know a lot of people out there who are hoping that's, <laughs> certainly hoping that's the case. Uh, not, not a few of them of whom, uh, you know, bought in at 40 or 50 and uh, are either holding on for dear life, hodling, as they say, or or have uh, have been shaken out. Uh, I noticed in a, a recent interview, Charlie, just speaking of kind of contagion, um, and this would be a kind of cross-asset class contagion, but you called Bitcoin uh, the canary in the coal mine um, after so after its recent sell-off following the, the Fed's uh, pretty aggressive inflation print and, and its um, response to that or its promised response to that. Um, going back a little further, the, the crypto blow-up preceded uh, a 2008 sell-off in stocks and then likewise with COVID back in 2020. Are you uh, forecasting, just sort of more broadly speaking, um, more pain to come uh, in the NASDAQ and, and even more broadly in the markets? Or Absolutely. I think that you know, <laughs> a convenient scapegoat right now. So the TradFi or the old world, traditional finance, they're looking at crypto and going, ha, 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 you know, Bitcoin's failed again. It's over. OK, we didn't buy it. Thank God for that. Now we look clever. But, but you know, guess what? Bitcoin still outperformed mainstream assets over the last two and a half years. You know, if we go back to pre-COVID, which most people would talk about the 1st of January 2020, of the, the sort of recent era of finance, if you want to break it down into chapters, I think that that is definitely a chapter. And, um, you know, Bitcoin's still ahead of all the major indices. It's ahead of gold, it's ahead of NASDAQ, ahead of S&P, ahead of ARK, ahead of all these things, all these things that have done well um, in the last couple of years. And so how can something be dead when it's still done well? You know, right. ARK has not done well. ARK mm-hmm. has done badly. That is dead. Um, but but Bitcoin, of course, the stocks within ARK are not dead. But they'll they'll, they'll revive from some low price. But but Bitcoin is 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 literally has went up so much compared to everything else, and it's a big liquid asset that that's gone up so much. The only the only contender that Bitcoin's really had this cycle has been Tesla. You know, in terms of a big liquid stock that's behaved very differently from many other things. And um, but I think you know when you look at the the forty year build up in valuations or, or falling bond yields, which are kind of the same thing in reverse. Um, you, you know we we see we see long term valuation measures which are uh, jaw dropping. Uh, they're scary. The trigger supposedly has been increase of rates because inflation's come through. But you know the bond market doesn't believe that inflation's real. The bond market thinks it's going to pass, and we'll go back to the old days. And, you know, if it's wrong, then the bond yield at three to fight inflation at, you know, eight, nine, ten um, mm-hmm. is not even close. So, you know, this is this is chapter one of, of a 10 chapter book. And um, and, and you know, what we'll probably see is, is these aggressive authorities who want to fight inflation uh, become less aggressive and start panicking and ease off and you know, reflate the bubble. And I think that you know you can you can look at this whole thing from macroeconomics and 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 sort of not understand it, or you can just remember the simple thing is that a bit like Bitcoin, stock markets go up and down. They go up for a few years and they go down for a year and that sort of thing. And um, and 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 then we always attach narratives to them. But just remember the stock market goes up and down. But this time, the difference between the uh, previous bull and bear cycles 
is the highs are likely to be lower than the old highs and the lows are about are probably going to be lower. So that's what I call a secular bear market, you know, one that's going to go on and on and on. So each chapter is, you know, a bit more painful at the low than the last one. But there are still rallies to buy into and have fun in. So, you know, if you're an investor that understands um, uh, tactical allocation and, and you know what you're doing, you're good at it, you've got some experience and you've got some reasoning, then, you know, it, it's not that bad. I'm not saying you're going to clean up, but it's not that bad. Uh, mm-hmm. to be able to portfolios to withstand that those kind of conditions. But, um, you know, if you're going to sit there and hope that your tech stocks are just going to get higher and higher each year, well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I think there's <clears throat> plenty of either, uh, well, humility and experience to uh, to go around there. I, I just wanted to slip in a, a question that um, our mutual friend and my colleague, Dan Denning, uh, when I told him that we'd be catching up, uh, I asked if he had a couple of questions. And just because you touched on interest rates there, and I, I hope we get to speak about gold in a little bit, he he wanted to ask you, is the relationship between the gold price and real interest rates still important? And then I guess a part B of that would be how high do real rates have to go before gold loses its luster as a so-called safe haven asset? Your thoughts? Yeah, so the real interest rates is something that people talk about a lot with um, with gold price because it acts inversely. The analogy is dead simple. If 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 the if you know there's a um, uh, if 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 the bank is offering you two percent more than inflation, then you should queue outside the bank to put money in it. But if the bank is offering you two percent less than inflation, you should queue outside the bank to get your money out. <laughs> Very good. And, um, and that is and that is essentially the opposite of what gold is offering. The gold's the bank on the other side of the street, which is taking the money um, from the banks when when the real interest rates are negative and falling. What's happened over the last few months is that the real interest rate has gone from from negative, uh, the most negative in history, um, pretty much uh, recent history anyway, um, to positive, and that's been a negative force for gold. But against that, um, gold gold also benefits from actual inflation, and people forget this. Now, when actual inflation is two percent, no one cares because that's you know less than 0.2 percent per month going getting baked into the gold price. But when it's nearly ten percent a year, it's the best part of one percent a month going into the gold price and it being baked in because that's permanent debasement of the dollar. Which is what gold is being measured in there typically. And of course, if you're talking about Turkish lira, then you're talking about three or four percent inflation <laughs> per month getting baked into the gold price. So suddenly that, you know, as that number goes up, the real interest rate becomes less important relative to the actual level of inflation. And the final point about the gold price is that there's a forward expectation. So if you have high inflation today and the system believes that inflation is permanent and it's going to be here for the next few years, then you'll also get rewarded for, for, for future inflation. Now, what is happening in Western bond markets today is they are saying that's not going to happen. They're saying this inflation is going to pass. Now, I disagree. Joel, probably you disagree too. Dan Denning surely would disagree. Um, but, but the central banks, uh, for whatever reason, the, the, the bond market believes the system at the moment. I guess they the difference between um, US, UK, uh, uh, Germany or Japan is that the system uh, believes Davos, whereas in, in Turkey, Argentina, etc., it doesn't believe Davos. And for some reason, you know, there comes a point when you sort of lose control. And and I suppose that the Western bond markets are still somewhat in control, but it's looking pretty tenuous. And I suspect that, you know, in one of the chapters of this horror story that we're going into, one of them will prove the bond market wrong and say, actually, this inflation is not so temporary. 
Because yeah, you can stand the price of oil by by um, by slowing the economy. Fine, but what happens when you kickstart it again? You know, it comes straight back stronger. What happens to rents? What happened to wages? You know, the, you talked, you started this interview with the strikes. Why the strikes? Because the rail workers want a pay rise. Because you know, costs have gone up and their pay hasn't. And and so it's it's yeah, that's the latest example. I think that um, I, I forget the name of that children's game, but I like to quote that when when you bang when you bang a whack a mole whack a mole when you whack. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> I think that the the, the the book, the inflation story, is that. You know, it's, it, it, at one point it was a ship in the Suez Canal. Do you remember? Yeah, um, yep. And then it was something. Then it was something else, and it was a lack of blue roll or whatever. You know, whatever. It just keeps going, and it's just it's always something. And, and right now it's wages, rents, um, focus off commodities. You know, a few months ago it was all about commodities. But there'd always be a positive driver, and the negative drivers will not come back as far as people wish. Yeah, and it does seem that uh, more recently that the mole to be whacked uh, with regard to inflation rearing its head in the broader economy, that it seems to be doing so in those pockets that you just mentioned, which are, you know, rent, sort of cost of living for for working people. And, and that's the kinds of thing you can probably just hear the sirens outside <laughs> behind me right here in, in Paddington in London. I don't know what's going on outside there, but apologies if the, there's a bit of noise pollution. But um, yeah, it, it it does seem that they're the kind of things that precede social unrest and sort of civil you know, strife, the kind of things that result in uh, cities like London being closed down for transport strikes. Yeah, and this is normal, and we experienced all this in the 1970s um, in the United Kingdom. So I think that we kind of, I think we invented strikes pretty much, and we exported them to <laughs> Australia and New Zealand as well. I'm not well, sure if that's true. Them. I don't know who invented Maybe the French did, I don't know. But, but it was someone in Europe, surely, because we're very good at well, it. Well, you do them particularly well. I like how the French do it when they, uh, a few years ago, I was there and the, and the taxi cab union was protesting against Uber. And all the taxi cabs um, just ground to a very, very slow crawl on the uh, on the main highways, and they call it an escargot, which uh, moving at a snail's pace. I think at least at least have a sense of humour about it if you're going to disrupt everybody else's day. But uh, Charlie, just I know you've got a, a train to catch, mate. I don't want to hold you up for too much longer, but. On that uh, point of opportunities and looking for opportunities in mispriced um, assets or mispr mispriced expectations, I should say, uh, and while the rest of the world is thinking and hoping that uh, indeed inflation is transitory, uh, as Ms. Yellen um, and Mr. Powell uh, told us again and again, um, if indeed it isn't and it sticks around for a little while, one might expect that uh, dollar alternatives, fiat alternatives such as uh, gold in particular, and potentially Bitcoin as well, uh, that there might be a bit of opportunity in there. Do you want to tell us about your latest endeavor, uh, a creative portmanteau, Bold? Yeah. Joel, thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, Bold is Bitcoin and gold. And if you go back to the 70s, you know, gold was a really good hedge. And, um, you know, there are reasons for that. But basically, we had a formal link to the system. And so the price to start with was too low. And, and so therefore the initial move in 1972-3 was probably pretty aggressive just because it was catching up to where it should have been in the first place. It had been artificially suppressed. I think that the same had happened in 1999-2000. Not that it, had been, it hadn't been officially suppressed, but it had been unofficially forgotten. Uh, and, but it was you know, similarly very cheap. 
But, you know, gold's come into this latest cycle um, last couple of years, approximately fair value. You know, I'm not seeing it as, as, as an expensive asset nor a cheap asset, just roughly where it should be. I mean, to, to be specific, about 10% over at the moment, whereas at the beginning of the year it was 10% under. And, and, and we already talked about that, the real interest rates rose. But each month, that's, you know, we're getting, we're getting a new gift from the actual inflation. Now, big, you know, the thing about gold is, is that in 2020, it went through the roof when we had a mini bubble in gold. And the last time we had that was in 2011. And, you know, what do these years have in common? Well, you know, huge fear. Um, in, in 2020, we were locked down in the summer when gold was going nuts, or summer in Northern Hemisphere. We, we were, we were um, uh, you know, thought that the world was going to end and all these pubs and restaurants shut and unemployment spiked to numbers we'd never seen before, ruining every every chart ever for, for the rest of history <laughs> the numbers went so big and no one knew what the hell to make of it i mean you know you might have had your view on the virus whether it was an overreaction or not but but it happened and um and there was genuine fear that the that the debt ballooning and all this stuff would would be a real panic and and gold was the, the seen as financial certainty of course no one was buying bitcoin in the summer of 2000 and 20 they weren't really buying you know they were, they were buying they were buying working from home stocks but they weren't buying the speculative arc stocks at that point it was only when the you know we realized that the world wasn't over in the autumn and we started to um the lockdown started to end and we went back and things reopened and we, and we said okay fine this is virus thing it will get over it one day and the economy will recover and then the confidence started to return there was big stimulus and bitcoin goes nuts um, and gold starts falling and so you've got this natural counter cyclicality between these two assets and by the way these are the two most liquid alternative assets in the world gold 145 billion dollars a day and as i said earlier um, bitcoin around 40 in perspective silver is about 15 billion so you've got these two two alternative assets which are off grid which won't be bailed out they won't be printed and they're naturally counter cyclical you know one loves the dark times and the other one loves the good times and <laughs> So how do you put them together? The idea is, is, is the bold index, and the bold index use risk, risk weighting, looking at volatility. We know that Bitcoin's crazy, so you don't need as much Bitcoin as you do uh, gold. And doing some simple maths, it's available on our website, bytree.com. If you follow the bold tab, you'll, you, can, you can get the proper, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the methodology for do it yourself. But, but basically, you end up at about 80-20 in favor of gold, and that's you know, the inverse of the volatility. So the volatility of... Um, Gold of Bitcoin, let's say it's 60, and gold, you know, let's say it's 15. There's a sort of simple equation. You do one over um, each of those numbers, add them together, and uh, and then revisit the number, and you end up with uh, with basically. Uh, 80% in gold, 20% in Bitcoin. The point being that if they had the same volatility, it would become 50-50. Or if Bitcoin became even more volatile, then it would get a lower share. And by rebalancing into that counter-cyclicality, you, you add value each month um, by our estimate about 7% a year. So, you know, it's very unlikely that gold and Bitcoin are up over, over a given month or two. And... Um, they're both up at the same time or both down at the same time. More likely, one of them does well and one of them does badly. And so by selling high and buying low of, of the one that went up and the one that went down, uh, consistently, you add value. And I think this is, just, this is you know, the way to crawl through um, the next, the, you know, these 10 scary chapters, these two alternative assets to take it in turns. And, you know, to take it back to the 1970s, I started and didn't finish, was the gold went up in the in the bad times, you know, after the sort of 71, 72, 3 era. It, it sort of went up in the in the in the bad times and then went down, you know, when inflation was going up and then went down in the good times when the recoveries 
um, came. And it was really the oil uh, or commodities more, more generally, that, or, or equities more generally, that, did, that sort of went up during the good times. And I think that this time you've got two off-grid assets um, that can do the job, you know, gold and Bitcoin, one for the good times, one for the bad. Uh, the double whammy is your friend. Embrace the volatility. Yeah, and certainly speaking of buying low, that's potentially a, a very good opportunity. I note all the time when we have these, you know, severe, <clears throat> um, you know, precipitous sell-offs in the crypto space, the, the very people who were ruining the fact that they, they'd missed the boat at 60,000 and they they wished only wished that they had got in um, are thanking their lucky stars that they didn't get in uh, when it hits 20,000 and, and lining up to pen their obituaries that the Bitcoin story is once again dead in the water. Um, I guess that's uh, that's just human nature and <laughs> we're, we're want to over uh, overcorrect uh, either way. But um, just before we go, Charlie, tell us where we can, where our listeners can find your stuff. You mentioned Byte Tree and of course, Bold, uh, the Fleet Street Letter, a little bit about that before we yes. head off. Fleet Street Letter, I started writing in the beginning of 2016 and, um, you know, I love it. I, I still, you know, do it after six and a half years and I really enjoy writing that because it keeps me in touch with the old world. Old world's my background. You know, yeah. 20, 25 years in uh, thumb management. I was at HSBC for many years and a couple of other firms since doing some short, shorter consultancy jobs. And, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I do. I'm a fund, multi-asset fund manager. When I, when, I, when I use the phrase multi-asset, I mean it. You know, because most of these funds are, are out there talk about multi-asset. What they mean is bonds and equities. And bonds and equities are actually financial assets, both of them. And they um, used to be put together and called a balanced portfolio. Then people like me came along in 2001, two and created multi-asset portfolios with, you know, actual multi-asset classes, you know, embracing commodities and, and um, hedge funds and these things and the phrase after 2008 was nabbed by by the balance lot and said well how can we make our boring portfolio sound more interesting we'll call them <laughs> so they're all liars and cheats as you can imagine <laughs> using, using this terminology they've got no commodity exposure they'll own commodity shares and call that commodities you know what i mean they'll, they'll, own, they'll, they'll own infrastructure and pretend that's an alternative when it's just property in a different shape you know it could be a car park or a toll bridge i mean what's the difference between renting an apartment and a toll bridge and in, in, in economic terms they're just financial assets and so they 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 don't actually have any exposure to this stuff anyway back to fleet free letter i've got two portfolios embracing this multi-asset thinking and uh, one of them's called soda it's very low risk not low risk low, low to medium risk simple you know diffuse diversified investment trusts uh, and things like that very 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 simple low turnover portfolio and the other one soda is much more interesting you know we do more more um, in, in single stocks and you know, chase trends around the world and all that sort of thing. But it's very clear that one is, you know, low to medium risk and the other one is medium risk. If you if you hold all 20 holdings, obviously some of the individual holdings can be pretty risky, including things like Bitcoin and some of the deep value stocks. But, you know, they've done well, these portfolios, and, um, and you know, I'll keep doing it for, for years to come. So that's, you know, published by South Bank and and, and, and they're a good outfit. So, so yeah, Fleet Street Letter and Bike Tree, that's what I do. All right, fantastic. Well, hopefully we'll be able to catch up, uh, maybe even in person one of these days, if uh, if the transport unions of whichever country we happen to find ourselves in allows for it. Uh, Charlie, before we go, uh, one last question from Dan that I've been just kind of 
squirreling, squirreling away on the side here, but he wants to know, maybe tongue in cheek here, how much is the glass of red wine you bought in Chamonix with Bitcoin worth now? <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. That's and Danny, last laugh, awful. <laughs> it was a very good glass of wine, I imagine. Um, uh, let me guess. I think I was in Chamonix on that. It must have been because I was really excited about Bitcoin in those days. I, just <laughs> I was really, really excited. So it must have been, let's call it February 14. Let's call it $500. So that's it's 20 bagger since then, isn't it? 20,000. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, 40 bagger, 40 bagger. So yeah, so I could have had the case, Dan. I could have had the case. I had the case. Well, it's not as bad as the as the fellow who parted with ten thousand bitcoins for a couple of pizzas. I think that was the very first on chain <laughs> transaction. So, I hope those uh, super supreme stuff crusts were worth it for for old mate. That's uh, many well, they, they, many. Well, they were, Joel. They certainly were for the the forever PR story that they've gifted us with. Yeah, there you go. And if he if he parted for ten thousand with ten thousand for two pizzas, one would assume that he had plenty more. In reserves. Anyway, mate, Charlie Morris, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we've given us uh, the Fleet Street letter in Bite Tree, where uh, listeners can find your excellent work. For everyone else, uh, this is Joel Bowman with the Fatal Conceits podcast. Again, please check out our Substack page, bonnetprivateresearch.com.substack.com, uh, rather, uh, and do tell your friends. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. All right, Charlie, thanks for that, mate. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll just I'll just whack my monitor uh, on again for for a couple of seconds. Where where are you off to, mate? Have you got a, a bit of a well, getaway for the weekend? But I'm going to I'm going to Lords to watch the cricket. Oh, look at that! Well, you had wonderful weather for it until yesterday, and now it's just uh, yeah, it's clouded over. It's not so good, but maybe that's good cricket is, watching. Well. I'm, I'm not actually going to the cricket. I'm going for the invitation. The invitation. Oh. Is, from an investment bank and any opportunity to sit in front of them and tell them about bold, I'm not going to pass up. So that is, that is the harsh reality of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, feel free to share your, uh, your, your fatal conceits podcast, uh, appearance wide and far. You get the, you get the fatal conceits bump in the ratings. <laughs> How are you doing these days? I mean, what do you, are you what do you do? Yes. I'm writing. Yeah, so I'm writing with. Uh, I just uh, arrived in the in uh, London from um, Bill's place out in in Ireland, and so I'm, I'm writing with him, uh, Bill, myself, Dan Denning, and uh, one other fellow. Uh, the four of us. Are you, are you honorary member of the family? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that. We, you know, we get picked up from the from the train station and dropped off when the time comes. So I kind of feel like a like a kid who's you know coming up from college or or something like that but um but yeah it's been it's been good it's fun riding with bill you know he's he's good humored he sees the world in a, a kind of quirky interesting way which keeps stuff interesting for for our work and you know as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation it's you know i like to travel we like to be on the road um we like to have very few possessions or appointments or anything like that so this kind of suits my my lifestyle and um and actually Anya has just bought out her partner. She has a um, a website called classicalwisdom.com, which is dedicated to ancient Greek and Latin literature and history and philosophy and all that good stuff. So um, she's just taken full ownership of her, of her company. She's going to bring that over to Substack as well. 
Uh, and we're, here in London, she's meeting with the head of the Aurelius Foundation, who was actually an ex-Aussie tennis player, uh, if you believe it. He is um, he's the CEO of a fashion brand that I had to Google because I know nothing about that world, but it's Radley. Maybe you know that that brand. Anyway, um, so he is is hosting this uh, this sort of event um, here in in Mayfair and. Um, and yeah, it'll be it'll be a good night with some some cocktails and talking about stoicism. I don't I don't know how those two things meet. Pardon me. When is that? It's on tonight. Oh dear. Yeah. So it's so we're going to go along and and have a bit of fun. I, word is that the fellow wants to start, I'll get his name in a second, but he wants to start a stoic party, as in a political party. Which I just the, the, those two things just don't seem to mix to me. But anyway, there you go. Um, yeah, so we're just kind of tooling around, mate, doing our own stuff and, yeah. Living the dream. Well, yeah, living a dream. Somebody else's nightmare, I'm sure, but it's a dream for me, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah. Thanks for the Charlie. plug anyway and happy uh, to ab- do whatever. Yep, absolutely, Charlie. Mate, um, we will hopefully catch up uh, in person again one of these days. I did so enjoy our dinner, so I hope we can. When, uh, we when can are you leaving, by the way? This we're time. leaving. Yeah, we're leaving next Tuesday, and we're okay. going down to we're, we're going down to the Canary Islands with some some friends. Um, yeah, for for a, I can only imagine a very cheesy seaside holiday with lots of rough and tumble Cockney blokes i don't know i have a i have a, I have a conception of what it's going to be like i haven't booked anything so my my friends have taken care of that so i have no idea what it's going to be but i'll be on the beach reading a book that's all i know oh yeah with family yeah yeah with family <laughs> exactly all right well take care okay charlie good to chat to you mate talk to you again soon Ciao. Ciao.